morning, church. Today, um, I'm going to do the scripture reading. So if you could open your Bibles to Philippians 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you, in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on, believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle I saw, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Um, it was great singing one of those songs before. The last song that we sang, it says, God will prepare a way where we feel there's no way. What an encouraging song that was. And it seems to be the theme for this morning as I'm listening to the different prayers and I'm listening to the different conversations we're having. It's God prepares a way where we feel there is no other way. And I just felt this morning, I'm so encouraged by this morning's service because uh, that's what I feel the Lord is saying to us. Don't worry. I can prepare, provide a way where there's no other way. Praise God, we serve such a good God. Uh, I'm just going to pray for me, uh, if that's okay, uh, before we dive into the Word and pray for us as we prepare our hearts for what we're going to hear. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you give us your Word, your Holy Scriptures. And I just pray that each and every one of us this morning, Lord, wherever we're facing, if we're going through joy or anxiety, Lord, or whatever we're experiencing right now, that we have ears to hear and our heart open to receive what you, want us to, what you want to speak to us in our lives. Amen. Amen. Um, do you ever feel that people are watching you as a Christian? Do you ever feel that whatever you're doing in life, wherever you're working or at school or studying, that they're analyzing you about what you believe and how you respond when things happen, when adversity happens or circumstances are difficult? Do you ever feel that people are watching you as a Christian? Anyone? Do you think? Well, it's true. You're right. People do watch us as Christians. They want to see how we tick, how we respond. They want to see exactly, you know, what we do in our lives. The majority of people that we meet in life you see, do not share our love for Jesus or share the values that we hold to. And so they may say, I like the concept of your faith, but I can't buy into it because I don't agree with this aspect or, or that aspect. And they're like hawks watching us, waiting for us to kind of trip up or to make a mistake. And it's, that's life. And I think that we need to be prepared for this. That as Christians, we're going to be under the microscope a little bit. People watch Christians. Some are critical. Some are curious about what we do and how, what we believe. I'm excited for the Love Duncan event to see how people will respond when we just love people. Why are you loving me for? I don't know you. And so people do that. People are curious. 
Uh, I still keep in touch with my old soccer team back uh, in the UK, my church team. And within my church soccer team, there are a lot of non-Christians. And they're very curious to know why we do things or why we believe. And, they, and it's, a, it's a safe place for them to ask questions. And we can still answer some of their th- questions about God. But here's the thing. As society changes, as society moves on in how they do life, how do we as Christians respond? How do we as Christians move with society? Um, In the UK, during COVID, the, the government every single day told us whether COVID was on the increase or whether on the decline. And they give us an R number. And if the R number was one, it was on the increase. And if it was below one, it was on the decline. So 1.1, you knew that people were getting COVID and there was more cases in hospital and all that stuff. And if it was below one, it was going down. Every day the UK government told us this R number. And if it was below one, everyone's like, yeah, it's, it's getting less. And every day, that's what we heard. There was a newspaper in England called the Times Newspaper, and they did a survey of churches. So forget COVID, they did a survey of churches, and they correlated church growth based on this R number. And so if churches, here here it is, here's the church. If the church denomination was below one, it was declining in number. And if it was above one, it was growing. And as you can see there, I've got my clicky doofer. As you can see, there's the one number. So these churches are on the increase. These denominations were growing. Every other church denomination. So this is done by the Times newspaper, you know, journalists documented this. And it was based over a 20-year period on statistics. All of, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong the wrong screen, 20-year period by the, te- um, the anonymous, the reproduction number. Our church is growing or shrinking. Church denominations in the UK, all of those denominations there are on the decline. Don't want to be that one down there, do we? But all the rest, you know, the Baptists, wee, the Baptists, they're kind of like up there somewhere. But not quite. The Church of England, the Roman Catholic, Methodists, and it goes down. Why are those churches on decline? Why are they declining? Why is the the majority of church denominations, according to the Times magazine in in the UK, declining? Why is there only three denominations, the FIEC, the New Frontiers in Elam, Why are they on the increase? I find that very fascinating. You know, we we have the greatest news that the world can ever tell us. We have Jesus Christ, the life-transforming presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, gives us life, new life, gives us abundant life, gives us eternal life. Why doesn't everybody want this news? Or do they not know about it? Perhaps they don't know. And I think Paul gives us a bit of an answer into why churches in the UK and other parts of the world, church denominations are on the decline. 
I think Paul gives us a bit of an answer to this this morning. He encourages us, Paul, in this passage here that uh, Kaya read. Thank you, Kaya, for that. He encourages us in this, in, in this passage this morning that whatever happens in life, he tells us here, whatever happens, conduct yourself worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens, for good, for bad, keep conducting yourself, conduct your life in a manner worthy of that of a Christian. And I think Paul is saying, yet if everybody conducted ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our number would be a lot higher. It's my opinion. I don't know, but that's what I feel. Whatever happens, how are we diligently continuing to live our lives as Christians in a way that everybody will get to see in our sphere of influence? Whatever happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, interestingly, the word here, conduct yourself, the Greek word uh, is a fantastic word. It is polyteome. Polyteome, that's the Greek word there for it. And my Bible says, conduct yourself uh, in a manner worthy. But the literal translation of this is live like a citizen. So Paul is saying here, whatever happens, live like a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live like a citizen. What does it mean to live like a citizen? It's an unusual term. It's only used in the book of Philippians. And it is used uh, elsewhere once uh, in Acts 23 verse 1, where Paul talks about being a citizen. But Paul normally talks to Christians. He says, um, you should... A peripatel, you should walk. Keep walking in the manner of a Christian. Keep journeying in the way that a Christian should. But in here he says, live like a citizen. And it's very revealing what Paul is telling us. You see the word, um, that word there to live like a citizen, polyteome, means it's built on city, poly being a city. It's built on the Greek word polis and has overtones of citizen responsibilities. And this would have stood out to the original audience at Philippi. You see, Philippi was a special town. As we've been learning, Philippi was a Roman colony and a lot of the people there would have been Roman, retired Roman soldiers or soldiers that were settling down uh, or people who wanted to be part of the Roman Empire. And as such, citizens of Philippi got Roman citizenship in the bargain. And, and people envied that citizenship. If you could get a citizenship in the Roman Empire or at Philippi, then you were, you were, set, up, you were set above everybody else. You were, you were the elite. People wanted that citizenship of Rome. And people envied that. Acts 22, verses 27 to 28, the commander of the army says to Paul, how have you got Roman citizenship? He says, I had to buy it at a high price. Paul says, hey, I was born a citizen. To be a citizen of Rome was an envied position. 
People wanted that. They would spend a lot of money to be a citizen. And it came with the privileges and the protection of the Roman Empire. And Paul uses this word citizen in Philippians 3.20. And it says, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's the same word. He's not saying about earthly citizenship. He's saying that the citizenship that he's referring to is the citizenship of the kingdom of God. He says, conduct yourselves in a, in a manner, live like citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, when you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, live worthy in that manner. Paul is saying, that to be a citizen of Rome was pretty neat. It's a pretty smart thing to have and you've got the privileges. But to be a citizen of heaven is way better than being a citizen of Rome. Paul's using this verb here is telling us, is reminding us, is reminding these listeners of the obligations of a people who participate in a society but he's saying that the society that we should be really focusing on is the kingdom of God and not the society that we live in. He's saying that it's nice to be, if you are a citizen of a certain country, you follow the rules and the regulations and you have responsibilities, but to be a citizen of heaven, there's a bigger responsibility. I'm a citizen of the British Empire and I have a proof to show it. I have a, a British passport. Ooh, you might say, right? To be, a British, to be a Brit. Um, one day, you know, I may have dual citizenship. I may become Canadian British. I don't know. You know, I'll leave that with God. I would like that. Ooh! <laughs> you might say two citizenships. But with my British passport, it comes with certain things. It comes with certain benefits and privileges. I presume I've never done this, but I presume I can go into the embassy and say, hello there. If I go in Canada, wherever the embassy is in Canada, and go, hello, I'm British. Can I come in, please? And they say, yes, you can. Come in for tea and biscuits. And I, I go in there and have a lovely time. Eat some cucumber sandwiches or whatever British people do, right? Eat some custard and some nice cake. I don't know. I can do that because I've got privileges of being a British citizen. Um, if I'm in trouble, I can ring them and say, I'm in trouble, can you help? Um, and the same thing was happening with, in Acts. Acts, Paul was a Roman citizen and he had privileges. Um, he was arrested and beaten. And it shouldn't have happened. Acts 16, Paul is arrested. He's beaten and, and he says, don't you realize that I'm a Roman citizen? At that, the city panicked. The governors come down and they, they, they tell him to take him out of prison. Because he's a Roman citizen, this should never have happened. He was protected by the Roman government. They start panicking and they say, oh, let, we, let us usher you out of the city. And they give him a bit of a royal welcome there. It comes with privileges. So does it being a Brit. And so when we are a citizen, it comes with privileges. But also, uh, when we are with my British passport, as, my, as a Brit... I carry my Britishness. So um, if I phone somebody, if I give them a, a phone, I, a ring, I might ring somebody, okay? And I'll say, hello there. Um, this is Simon from New Life. And they'll chuckle on the other end of the phone. 
because they, yes, we know that it's you by your accent. And I'm like, okay, wherever I go, people know that I'm British by my accent, probably by the way I dress. You know, someone told me I, look, I dress like Mr. Bean. And, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, I do the dance as well. Or something, you know? <laughs> okay. I'll have to get some more Canadian clothes. I don't know what they are. You can take me shopping sometime. So I, I, you, you can identify me by the clothes that I wear and the, my accent and the words that I say. We have a lot of fun. This morning, I said for Love Duncan, we're going to go on the high street. Someone said, what's a high street? It's where all the shops are. What do you call that? Downtown. Okay. So the words that I use in the office, I'll say to the staff, Stop faffing about. And they'll say, what's faffing? You know, just messing up. Just get back to work, will you? You know? Uh, and so the words that we use in Britain are different. You can tell that I am British because I carry it around with me. But also, being British carries responsibilities. Wherever I go, I'm representing my nation. And so we go around I have to conduct myself in a manner worthy of my nation. Follow the rules and the regulations. I can't go around abroad as a British hooligan, you know, throwing chairs around and drinking all the beer or whatever because I'm representing my nation. And every nation has stereotypes. You know, if you think, if I say, American, what do you think of? You know, loud, right? Or Canadians, when we say, think of Canadian, I don't know, polite, you know, <laughs> going around saying sorry, you know, about and sorry, and Spanish people, you know, the Italians, they're like all passionate and fiery, right? Uh, or the British, I don't know, gloomy, but we all, <laughs> but we have stereotypes and we carry that around and when people see us, you know, we have responsibilities to represent our nation. You never get to opt out of your citizenship. I'm British. And I can't change that right now. I'm not British one day and then another day I change my mind. And what Paul is saying here is the same for us as Christians. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we are to be consistent we have benefits of being citizens of the kingdom of God, but we carry it around with us as well. We reflect the kingdom of God in everything that we do and what we say and how we act and how we correspond with people. But it also brings responsibilities. We have responsibilities as citizens of the kingdom of God to act accordingly to the Bible. Paul is saying, Conduct yourselves. Live like citizens of the kingdom of God in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be consistent in how we live our lives every day. Are we a citizen of the kingdom of God every day? Do we understand that we are citizens of the kingdom of God when we follow and love Jesus Christ? We carry it around with us. Do we hide it? Or do we carry it with us? I remember one time I, I support Sunderland Football Club. And I remember going to a football game uh, in Manchester. 
I went and watched Manchester City, and this was the old ground in the old part of the city, and it was rough. And at the end of the game, people were throwing bricks and bottles at all the, all the fans. And I was just a young guy, and I was all excited. Hey, this is exciting, right? And uh, I remember having my Sunderland jersey, jersey, top, my Sunderland jersey uh, on, and uh, I just I zipped my coat, <laughs> and I didn't want anybody to know that I was a Sunderland fan. Can it be said of us as Christians? When the rubber hits the road, we zip our citizenship. I'm not a Christian. Do we zip it up? Do we hide it? But Paul is saying here, whatever happens, I'm in jail, I'm in chains, I'm chained up to a Roman guard. Life is tough. People are throwing bricks at me. Conduct yourself. Live like citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether we're at teaching in Sunday school, or whether we're at work, or whether people are watching, or whether we're in the line of the, the movie theater, live like citizens. One of the most striking features of the city of Philippi was the civic pride. Titles mattered. People really wanted to be a citizen of Philippi and of the Roman Empire. And I just think what a privilege it is to be a citizen of God, to be part of God's family. When I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I get adopted into God's family. He becomes my father, my spiritual father, and I get my citizenship in the kingdom of God. And I love that. I'd be so proud if I was a Canadian citizen. And I'm, you know, proud, I guess, to be a British citizen. But boy, am I glad that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Paul's point in using this language in Philippians is to show his readers that being in Christ, being a citizen of the kingdom of God is far superior than being a citizen of Rome. The, the word here is a plural, present, imperative, which means pretty much every day, continue being a citizen. And it's for everyone. Every one of us continue being a citizen. And it's an imperative. It's a command. You must continue. You must. It's a, it's a command. You must continue to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, each and every one of us. Oh, wow, it's a bit of a responsibility, right? But here's the good news. It's for everybody, every one of us. The church in Philippi was made up of a big bunch of people. We had Lydia. She was a tradeswoman, right? She would have been a bit of money. We had the, a jailer. He would have been a retired soldier, perhaps. And we had the young girl, a little young slave girl who was possessed and freed of that spirit, there's a whole bunch of different people of different backgrounds and different gener generations. I think that's so encouraging. The church is so encouraging because I do not care what background you have. I don't care where you've come from. Everyone is welcome to be part of the, citizens, uh, the kingdom of God. We can all be citizens because we're all welcome in the kingdom of God if you follow and love Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying, Whatever your background, whatever your situation, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Continue to be a citizen of God. 
But the encouraging thing is this. Then whether I come to see you or not, only hear about uh, you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith. Paul says, if I come to see you, I'm in jail. I don't know if I'm going to come to see you again. But if I do, or I don't, keep doing it together in unity. Now, if Paul was to come to church, if Paul, the Apostle Paul was to come here this morning, you kind of straighten up a little bit, don't you? You know, you kind of, uh, you want to make sure you make a good impression. I would feel under a lot of pressure right now if the Apostle Paul was here listening to my sermon. You straighten up a bit. But Paul says, if I come or not, it doesn't matter. Just keep living the life. But do you know what? You do it together. He says here, contending as one spirit. Contending is battle language. It's for those soldiers who are there in the church. Contending. Uh, would have been like the, containing as one man, would have been like the Roman army. And the Roman army uh, came together in, in, the, in that Roman phalanx, and the, they kind of come together, they join together. One soldier by himself is going to get, you know, a good beating. But if they come together and they, they, they join together, they're a lot stronger together. That's how the Roman empire was, was built from Scotland all the way to India, because they worked together as one unit. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying when you stand firm together in one spirit, contending as one man, we're doing it together, each and every one of us. We have different circumstances and different backgrounds, but we are together. Psalm 133, uh, Psalm 33 verse 1 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Our unity is faith in the gospel. Our unity is Jesus Christ. Our unity is what we believe together without fear. That we believe that only through Jesus can we be saved. That the moral teaching of the Bible is still relevant for today. These are the things that bring us together. That the Bible is the infallible word of God. That this unity is in the truth. And that's the only unity the Bible really knows. So it sounds good to me. Paul says, continue to live in, uh, as citizens of the kingdom of God, but do it together as one fellowship, as one family, as one church. And he says, when you do that, you'll have strength. It tells you, uh, it tells us in verse 38, without being frightened in any way by those, uh, by the way, those who oppose you, this will be a sign to them that uh, they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So when we are together, we are unified against any opposition. People throw mud at us or we are persecuted as Christians. I don't know much about persecution in my life. I've always been in, in countries that have been fairly safe, but we can receive Persecution in different ways. Christians today and Christians going forward will continue to receive persecution in the things that we believe. If we hold firm to the Bible, to the Word of God, we will receive hardship and persecution from time to time. And that's fine. But we do it together. We stand firm together. And not being frightened about it. My, my friend's a good sailor. And he's got a boat in the UK, and all of his family are sailors as well. 
And they're all very confident and competent on the water. And one day he brought his mum on the boat and she hates the water. And she got on the boat and she starts panicking and rocking the boat. And then that fear spread to one person, to the next person, to the next person. And so all these competent sailors started to panic a little bit on the water and lose their nerve. Fear can spread from one individual. But as a church, Paul is saying, together united, we, are, we stand stronger together. So when persecution comes, bring it on, because we do it together as a family, right? If we hold to the word of God. We can face hardship together. But when we choose not to take the easy path, but to stand firm as citizens of the kingdom of God, you bet the world will notice they will notice us as Christians. And as when, when, when they begin to notice, when Christians begin to stand out a little bit, that's when I feel the church grows because we are doing something better for the kingdom of God. The last thing I want to say is that in verse 29, for it has been granted to me to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now you uh, now hear that I still have. We're going to be united in our opposition, but we're going to be united in our suffering as well. Many of us want the good and not the bad, but if we are united with Christ, then we get given both a crown on our heads and a cross to bear. That's the reality of life. But Paul is saying that we do it together. There are no promises in the Bible of an easy life as a Christian. But when we receive suffering and opposition and persecution, the Bible says good things can come out of it. We see here in the book of uh, James. James tells us, uh, consider it pure joy, he says, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Doesn't sound like a, a good message, but when difficulty happens, be, ha- be happy about it. Consider it joy, because you know that being uh, through the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It builds up character. And then Romans continues with that. It says, we also glory in our sufferings. I wouldn't normally say my sufferings were a glory, a glorious thing. But Paul does in the book of Romans because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Sometimes we've got to go through opposition or persecution or hardship in and life, but Paul says, if we do it together, we'll be stronger and people will notice. People will notice what we are doing in the community. We'll make a difference. And I think that decline of churches, this is my opinion, when, ch- when Christians stand out and we are loving fearlessly, churches will grow. When we are living as citizens of the kingdom of God, boldly, that number is going to increase. It has to, Right? Because that's when we're seeing God doing amazing things. When we boldly pray for one another. I love that prayer ministry that we had these last few weeks. When we're praying for each other. Because we see God answering prayer in powerful ways. When we're praying for friends and our family to come to know Jesus. 
And we know, we believe God answers, who believe God answers, answers prayer? Just me? Okay, two of us, thanks. When we bring boldly, God will make a difference. When we live our faith in real tangible ways and God starts doing stuff in our community, or when we trust God through adversity, as we sang the song, God will make a way where we feel there is no other way. When we step out into the community and we love Duncan, and we're living our lives as citizens of the heaven, of, of the kingdom of God, I believe God will do amazing things and we will see our faith into a reality. We had snow recently, just there last week, and those little snowflakes that come are so beautiful, but they melt in your hand in an instant. They just disappear. One snowflake is just so fragile, so beautiful, but so fragile. But together, all the snow comes together, and you can do amazing things. That's my daughter and I. We made a little snowman. All that snow together. We still have snow in the car park. On there, it amazes me, last April or June, I can still see snow on the mountaintops. Why is it still there? Because together, somehow, it is way more, it's strong. Together, it is stronger together and is able to do mighty things. Snow is able to make awesome snowmen like that. It's my first attempt of a snowman and I'm pretty um, proud of my snowman, to be honest. That's why there's a picture of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Canada. You don't get snow like that in England. Paul teaches us that if we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, we will see mighty powerful things at work. God will be at work, but we don't do it together. We are united as a church, and we will be empowered to face opposition and suffering together. God is good, and the church is awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as Christians, we have Christ living in our lives every day. We are empowered, Lord, to keep living our lives as citizens. And I just pray, Lord, that every day, whether good or bad, that we do not live in anxiety or fear uh, or, or dread. But Lord, I, I, I just pray that each and every one of us here can continue to be proud of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are citizens of your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that we are citizens of many, many different nations here this morning. But every one of us, Lord, is part of your kingdom. And I thank you for that. I pray that we continue to understand what it means to be a citizen of your kingdom. I pray these things in your special name. Amen.